Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by Brandon Anderson. He's NBA Futures Analyst for the Action Network. We're going to break down all things that you need to know to bet Coach of the Year. Should be a good time. We'll give you best bets. We'll talk about the process, when you need to bet it, all those types of things in this episode. want to let you know that if you're looking to bet absolutely anything and track it, you want to get the Action Network app. It's the best way for you to track your picks you get all sorts of cool stuff in there. There's lots of good features. You can do analysis on your own bets to figure out how you did in a certain time span on certain bets, how you're doing versus overs or unders or whatever it is. You can also follow all of Brandon's picks in the Action Network app as well as mine. And I want to let you know that you should check out the Action Network YouTube page. Go to YouTube and find us on YouTube, the Action Network YouTube page. We've got all of our great shows. We've got live shows. Turn on notifications. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Let us know you support the show. It's a great way. We're really trying to focus on building our YouTube audience. We appreciate any support you guys can give us over there. All right, Brandon, let's get started with Coach of the Year. As always, I know that you've got things that you're looking for. What are you looking for when you're looking to bet NBA Coach of the Year? Yeah, Coach of the Year is pretty much the same formula across sports. So we got three things we're looking for. As I do these rules, looking back in Coach of the Year at the last 13 winners. Why? 2011, you and I have talked about that's when the Heat Super Team formed. I think that's kind of the modern era. Uh, When I talk about wins, win paces, I'm pacing anything where we didn't have an 82-game season out. So just a refresher, who wins Coach of the Year last five? So you've got some names on mind. Mike Brown, unanimous last year for the Kings. Monty Williams with the Suns the year before. Thibodeau, the Knicks. Nick Nurse with the Raptors. And Coach Budenholzer with the Milwaukee Bucks. So. I've got three rules. They're kind of all similar, but escalating. To win coach of the year, rule number one, you got to win a lot of games. All is a shocker with my rule number one, right? Like coming out of the gates, firing on these. These 13 guys, 
averaged a 59 win pace for their season. Six out of the 13 won 60 games or more, and two more paced to 60, and we had a 59. So nine out of 13, 69% over the last 13 years had a 59 win pace or better. That's a lot of wins. Now, Mike Brown, 48 wins last year, 48 and 34. Tibbs, three years ago, 47 win pace in a shortened season. Those were two real outliers. Everyone else in the mix, the last 13 is at least a 55 win pace. So unless this is moving towards the Mike Browns and Thibodeaus, you probably need a 55 to 60 win coach. You need at least 47, even including those outliers. Importantly here, coach of the year is not an award for the cute overachiever team. It is not the really bad team that was kind of okay. It's not that. You need 50 wins, 55, 60 wins. You probably need a top six protected seed. All right. I like all these these guidelines. These are pretty good. Uh, I will tack on some more because I want to get to uh, part of what you're looking at, which is this award. I like this about this because it fits very well into our content. I think this award is better looked at through the prism of win totals and performance against them than we can look at almost any other betting thing. Like, I I think if we look at how to evaluate coach of the year, starting with the win total and doing a deep dive on that analysis to, to identify targets, I think is an excellent way to approach this. What do you got for me on win totals? I agree with you on win totals. That's going to be in my rule number three. So let me get rule number two first, and then let's do rule three in the win total. So rule number two, you need to improve on last year's record by a lot. So it's not just winning. It is an improvement award. Mike Brown, Kings went from 30 wins to 48, plus 18 on the win total. The Knicks went from 26 wins to a 47 win pace. Or under Tibbs, the Bulls went from 41 to 62. Bud plus 16 with the Bucks, plus 22 with the Hawks. All 13 coaches had a better record or better win pace in their winning year than the previous year. And I was close. There was two times where it was only one win higher, but on average, 11 and a half wins better than last year. So what I thought here is I thought they were going to have like, okay, so we're looking for like a coach around... Uh, 30 to 45 wins last year that can jump to a number this year. That's not the case. We don't have a good starting mark here. We have a coach of the year whose team won 26 games. That was Thibodeau with the Knicks and they jumped. We have a coach of the year whose team won 67 games and they jumped. So you've got to range anywhere from 26 to 67, AKA all the teams in the NBA pretty much. The median is right around the middle, 47. I don't know that we know how bad you were last year, but you got to win like 10 plus more games this year. You got to improve. Okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense just from the perspective of, you know, I think you are judged by your prior performance and looking, if you're like, oh, like look at how much better they are. And especially you've got some stuff later on about first year coaches. It makes a lot of sense for there being a change and you being able to attribute that to the coach. Yep, exactly. All right, so let me just jump right to rule number three because that's the one I know that you are most excited for here, and and it is, I think, the most important one. So rule number three is the narrative portion of the award. You got to outperform expectations by a lot. You need to surprise us, and that's the one where win total is key here. So 
same 13 coaches, all 13 went over their Vegas win total posting into the season, and usually by a lot. Mike Brown, 13 and a half wins over the total last year. Monty with the Suns, 12 and a half over. Tibbs and the Knicks, we didn't get it quite because, you know, pandemic things, but plus 20 on the pace. They crushed what the win total was. Even Steve Kerr, the year that the Warriors won it and he won coach of the year, they went 73 and nine. He was plus 13 on the win total. They had a 59 and a half win total and still cleared it by 13 wins. All 13 guys cleared the win total, and they didn't just go over. Every one of them went over by at least six and a half wins. All but two of them went over by nine and a half wins. So 85% chance we need somebody who can hit 10 wins above their posted win total, average about 12 and a half improvement, not improvement, but a performance over expectation. So Look back over the years. Here's where we do have actually a, a more of an expectation. Average win total start is just over 46 of these 13 coaches. And then the average end of winning about 59 games. So we need the 59 part, but that kind of sets up to where somewhere in the mid 40s by expectation, not last year, but expectation. And then kind of a, a minimum threshold, 11 out of the 13 started with the win total at 40.5 or higher. So that's interesting because that means, again, we're not looking for the Rockets or the Pistons or someone to come out of nowhere, usually. 40.5 or higher means, all right, we thought you were a 500 team. We thought you were at least a 500 team, but you're pretty good. Now, the two exceptions are Mike Brown and Thibodeau, two of the last three years. So that's the data on the win total. I don't know if Brown and Tibbs are exceptions or if they're starting to show that this is tilting back toward a more open field. Other than those two, we typically need like a 55-60 win team, but that's not what we've seen lately. What do you make of that and what do you make of the win total data here? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one of trying to parse out what's what this recent trend kind of shows is are we entering into a new era about how these things are evaluated? And I kind of lean towards no, because I still think that most of these coaches are kind of evaluated similarly. Um, I pulled some different data. I pulled last 22 seasons. So I've got 22 seasons okay. of data in this. And um, a couple of interesting things that I found in here, the average differential between actual wins and win total was 13, 13.2. So okay. they tend to win a ton more games um then that just like you kind of mentioned the least was four and a half that was uh greg popovich with san antonio in 2003 and then breaks all the rules all all the pop years my low-end ones in my sample are also pop wins um 19 and a half was the max and that was done by both thibodeau in with new york uh with rick carlisle with detroit and then 18 and a half was done by hubie brown with memphis and Mike Brown with the Cleveland Cavaliers. So that's kind of an indication on that. Um, if we break this down into into where the win totals lies, like what win total should you be looking at? Okay, how about this? Um, 17 out of 22 had a win total below 50. Hmm. So the preseason expectation was for you not to be a 50-win team, and you tended to exceed that number because the average number of wins uh, per 82 games – was 57.8. Now, again, we've got some outliers in here, like the Warriors, et cetera. But even then, um, I think we've got like a pretty good good kind of stretch here of like what we're looking for. This is going to tie a lot into win totals, 
when we yeah. do that analysis, and the reason I, I kind of say that is you're going to find that I'm going to talk a lot about how 50 is a key number, and it continues to kind of reflect that way as well, that 50 is a big deal in the NBA. And a lot of teams that are expected to win 50 don't. So if you're one of those teams that was not expected to win 50 and you do, you wind up having a, a, bit, a lot of success with winning this award. Uh, I also looked this up and I looked at uh, how many of the awards were less than 50, but more than 40. Um, and this is number of wins or a starting win total win total. Okay. So what's the actual, uh, what was the preseason expectation on them? I want to kind of get this narrower and here's like an interesting way to kind of look at this about like, what's the bottom. Right. And it's really is kind of 40 wins, uh, 15 out of 17 teams with a win total below 50 out of the, the 22 total in the sample. So 17 out of 22 were below 50 and 15 of those 15 of 17 were 40 or more. So 40 to 49 is the range here that we're looking at for most of these teams to be in that section of. So that's like a good starting place for you is take a look at the win totals, identify which team between 40 and 49 you think has a case to make a huge jump. And then like, that should be a starting place I think for your analysis. Yeah. And that, that was new to me this year, kind of seeing that same trend. And it did sway my thoughts on a few candidates. There's one that I'm still betting that's outside that range. But effectively, here's how I interpret that data. If your win total is below 40, it's really hard for you to so exceed expectations. Like, effectively, now you're at like 38, 37. We are telling, the books are telling us, we expect you to be a fringe play-in team. That's what that number means. We know that to win this award, you've got to win 50 games and probably high 50s usually. So to be a fringe play-in team that wins 50 plus is really hard to pull off. And on the flip side, we don't have too many win totals over 50 because we already knew you were going to be really good. So to really exceed expectations and go like 10 over, now... You're a 52-win team that had to win like 64 wins or something. And I think if you think about improvement and even just where luck plays into it, it is a much harder jump to go from 52 to 62 wins than it is to go from 42 to 52. Like that echelon of improvement to be that elite all the time, to be a 60-win team and hit the high end, it's not impossible, but I think... It's unlikely. It's probably a lot luck involved and it's a lot harder to predict. Now, this is hard to predict. Like coach of the year is basically saying, so who's your sleeper this year? Who do you think outperforms expectation? So it's going to be hard and the numbers are long for that reason. But to me, that's how I read the data as 40 to 50 is a good sweet spot for win total because it says, all right, well, yeah, we think you're a playoff team. And then it turns out you were, you were a top two or three seed and you were really there. That's the team we're looking for this year, I think. All right. So you've run through the rules. Do you have anything else that you want to get to here as far as like the corollaries when we talk about this award? Yeah. So just a few other kind of notes. We never had a back-to-back winner for coach of the year. That kind of makes sense, right? Like you can't exceed expectations and then exceed them by that much again. So I guess this year that would mean Mike Brown and the Kings win like 60. Then he maybe could win again, but we don't see that much. 
only Greg Popovich has won twice with the same franchise in the last 35 years. I talked about how Pop kind of breaks the rules. So Steve Kerr has won with the Warriors. Tibbs won with the Knicks. Mike Brown, this rule would say those guys are out. They're not going to win again with that team. They have to switch and, and try again. And then you mentioned this one. First-year coaches, first-year with their team, not necessarily first-year in the NBA. Four of our last seven coaches of the year were first-year with their team. We got six options this year. We got Detroit, Houston, Toronto on the low end. And we got Milwaukee, Philly, Phoenix on the high end. I didn't check this against the number, but uh, are all six of those not in our 40 to 50 win total range? Maybe Philadelphia falls into that range. I haven't looked at win totals in a second. See, Detroit's not, Houston's not, Milwaukee is in the range. Um, Okay. Nope, sorry, they're 52 and a half. Nope, they're 52 and a half. They're out. Yeah. Philly or Phoenix? Philly is in 49 and a half. And Phoenix is not at 51 and a half. Yeah. And I would guess that if we actually get news that Harden's going to stick around and do the thing in Philly, that that number might get past the 49 and a half out of our range, too. So the first year thing does not set up super well. But last year in this space, I said the same thing and quickly shrugged off a guy named Mike Brown because I didn't think the Kings could be good enough. And I've learned that like improvement's hard to predict. So sometimes outlier things happen. I never, I never get to do this. I never get to do. I told you, you did, you did. You go do it. Do the thing. Give me a fifteen-second victory lap. Do the Kings. I told you. I went back and listened to the episode. You were like, "Nah, come on, it's the Kings." And I was like, "No, they're (laughs) gonna be good." Unfortunately, it was also like one of the most public overs too. Like everyone was on the Kings over, so I didn't get the victory lap. It really good. Yeah. Uh, so four of seven first-year coaches. If you expand it to first two-year coaches, seven of the last nine. So 78%, basically over the last decade. So who do we add in? Kings, but not Mike Brown because no repeats. But now we add in Utah. Will Hardy, he was popular last year for a long time in this award. We add in Charlotte. We add the Lakers. I'll talk about them in a second. We add in Atlanta, Boston, and Brooklyn. I'm sorry, I'm not naming coaches' names because this is just how I list off these awards. But we, we expand our field now, but unfortunately, we've now expanded to 13. So almost half of the coaches in the league fit this criteria. It's not super helpful. Two more things. I mentioned Lakers. No Lakers coach of the year in the last 25 years. Relatedly, never a LeBron coach for coach of the year. I think that is important when you think of this award. And we've talked about this. Okay, so the Lakers have a really great season and they win 56 and they're the one seed. How do we recognize that in our awards chatter? Is it by giving coach of the year to a Lakers coach and how he has elevated LeBron and Anthony Davis? I don't, I don't, I don't really see that. Like the Lakers have stars and stars do the thing. And similarly, like I think giving an award to Jason Kidd doesn't make a lot of sense because if it's the Mavs winning 55, good enough for Kidd, then uh, maybe there's another guy on the Mavs that we give an award to. Maybe that's a thing that would happen. Like, I think it matters here to to look at the star component. So that's where the Lakers-LeBron thing is. And then one other one, I don't know if this is a thing. Eight out of the last 10 coaches of the year finished top six in defensive rating with their team. Now, I like that because defense travels. And defense is a good high-floor regular season formula. When we get to our win totals, that's why I'm high on Cleveland. That's why I'm high on Memphis. That's why I like Boston so much, because defense is reliable and a lot more predictable, I think, 
uh, from year to year than, than offenses. Unlike other sports, like football is the exact opposite there. So, again, last year, Mike Brown, not top six in defensive rating. I don't know if you watched the Kings last year, Matt, but the Kings were not top six in defensive rating. So what do you think about the defense one on that? Do we think that that's a thing at all, the, the high floor, or is that just kind of noise and maybe we're looking at a more offensive range now? I think it's definitely a thing because I think that if you have a team where there's non-MVP candidate, why are they good? The answer is going to be like, well, they're really good on defense. Why are they really good on defense? Because they got a really good coach. Like that's that I think is likely to be like where that kind of comes in a lot of the time. Yeah. So um, in general, I think that this kind of tracks. I don't I think there have been coaches, obviously, that have won because of their offensive genius. But I do think that if you're kind of looking at the profile of wins a bunch of games, doesn't have a massive superstar player, doesn't have an yeah. MVP candidate then this kind of tracks in there. So Yeah, well, I, I think similarly, what kind of what you're saying, superstar talent makes offenses great in the NBA. Yeah. Coaches can make defenses great. You need some talent too, but coaching and systems and, and team togetherness can make defense really good. Team togetherness and all the coaching in the world can't make you have really good players that score all the buckets. Like, that's not how offense works in the NBA. So I think that's the spot where, like, you can raise the floor of your team Last year is an exception. Like Mike Brown, I think, unlocked things with the Kings and, and deserves credit, and you deserve credit for seeing it coming and, and hooray for the Kings. So what I think is interesting about this award as, as we get to the names here is, A, there's only 30 dudes that can win it. Right. And it is 30 dudes right now, I guess, since I said it that way. Hopefully it's not 30 dudes for always. But we've got 30 choices here. And if we go through the rules, no repeat winners. Sacramento's out, Knicks out, Warriors out. No Lakers or LeBron coach. So Lakers are out. Teams that don't really have a path that are starting too low to get to the threshold. Spurs, Hornets, Rockets, uh, Wizards, Blazers, who there aren't odds up for, for obvious reasons right now. Teams who probably are too good right now, who would have to get to like 60 plus wins, who don't fit the threshold that you said, the, the 40 to 50 range. The Cavs, they're over that number. Maybe the Sixers, they won 54 last year. I think the Suns, they're over that number on the win total. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets, they're maybe in that range. They're all win totals 52 and a half and higher. None of those names can't win the award. But the names I just read off is half of the league. In theory, if we're right, we just ruled out half of the options that can win this, including, if you look at odds, six of the seven betting favorites in Coach of the Year. So my contention to you, Matt, is... I think this award is priced all wrong by the books going into mm. the year. The guys who are the favorites year after year for coach of the year in NBA are like, well, who's going to be good this year? All well, the Celtics and uh, the Grizzlies and and uh, the Cavs and the Sixers. So they're coaches because they're going to win a lot. Yeah, we know that. But we know that. That's the problem. We know that they're going to be good. We need to identify the coach who should be in that group but isn't yet. And that's hard. That's our job to do. But I think that means there's value here, and I think that makes this interesting. I think it does, too. I think there's, there's a lot of value to be found here. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. 
Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so don't show your work. This is not math class. Don't show your work. After you cut off everybody and you eliminate all the options based off of the rules, <laughs> who do you wind up with as your best bets for coach of the year? Yeah, this to me is not the one where you want to just pick one name and that's my guy. This is the spot to build a position in part because we get a lot of longer odds here. So I'm going to build a position with three names. I basically am choosing, these are my top three, but I narrowed it down to five candidates. So here's my names and the odds with them. My top choice is Taylor Jenkins with the Grizzlies, plus 1400 at our sponsor, BetMGM. My second choice is a repeat. I chose him last year. Chris Finch from the Timberwolves. 30 to 1 at BetMGM. And third, Rick Carlisle with the Pacers, 25 to 1 at BetMGM. So all three of those implied together is about a plus 628. Jenkins, Finch, Carlisle. Jenkins, I think, is a really good choice. And I'm going to have a hard time with whether or not to, to make a bet on him in this portfolio because uh, if you and I both have them extremely high, I have them as number one seed. I think they're they're power rating at full strength. Even like Jaw doesn't take them out far enough for them not to be able to still hit their projected power rating uh, for the full season. And so if they were to like secure a top two seed with Jaw missing 25 games and the offense looks way better, Jenkins is going to be pretty tough to ignore. He's been hard to ignore the last two seasons. Yeah. And so I kind of think that like, this is a great opportunity to be like, look what he, like the narrative's perfect here, right? Look what he went through. Look what he dealt with. Jaw was out. It looked like this team was splintering. They lost Dylan Brooks, but he brought everybody together and look what they, what they managed to put together. So I, I like, I like Jenkins on the surface as a bet. I am a little bit worried just because I'm so heavy on Memphis that I'm not sure if I want to double down, which is this, that's effectively yeah. like you're betting the same thing here. Only you're just parlaying it. You're bet you're parlaying our Memphis over on the win total with Taylor being the, the top option for coach of the year, right? Both those things, one has right. to lead to the other. Um, and so that makes me a little bit nervous, but I'll have to think about it. It's a really good option there. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think we talked about, like I mentioned, Jason Kidd in regard to Luka Doncic. Part of why I like this bet is is we'll get to why we love Memphis when we do the win totals episode. But I'm big on Memphis. They're my one seed. They're my number one defense. They don't have an MVP candidate because their MVP candidate is sitting for the first two months of the season. So when you get to the end of the year, if we're right about Memphis, if they win a bunch of games and they're near the top of the league, 
how do we reward the team? Either it's Defensive Player of the Year with maybe Smart or Jackson. You can listen to Defensive Player of the Year for that. I'm big on Jackson. But Jenkins is the logical choice. There's not an MVP candidate to give it to for why did they win so much. So I like that it's the narrative thing. And even two, this is a bet that I, I wanted to wait on because I wanted it to be longer than 14 to 1. Most of these prices I'm looking at are a lot more like 25 or 30. But I think if you're doing the portfolio thing, you got to get him now because the whole thing with him is, oh, well, look at that. The Grizzlies are winning without Jaw coming out of the gates. They're right near the top of the league again. Like if they don't, if they don't do that, then he's not winning yet. That's the whole thing is they have to hold tough with the defense and win without him. And we talked about the win totals. Why don't the Grizzlies belong with the Cavs and the Celtics and all the other teams? They won 51 games last year. They're already the two seed. Shouldn't they be out by the criteria? The win total is 45 and a half. So books are telling us that we see a big drop-off coming in this team. I think that's wrong. We'll explain why it's wrong on the win totals. But that, to me, buys us value because it's buying us expectation value and narrative value. So that's why I love him. He was actually my last ad here, and then he ended up going all the way to top of my list. What do you think about Finch or Carlisle? Love Finch. Uh, I think I'll probably bet Finch. I've got them. I have a bet on them to win the division. I think that there's a good chance that they slip by Denver, at least enough to make the number attractive. Finch is an exceptional coach, and it really it's been baffling to see people not understand that. Like, look, he got the Wolves to the playoffs. You know how few coaches have managed to get the Wolves to the playoffs? Um, did it in back to back? I do. Season? I do. In fact, know the answer to that. You do in fact know <laughs> the answer to that. Um, you know, he he managed. Cat missed three months last year. That's either their best or second best player. Most of the season, he was gone. It wasn't. It was like four months. Four months out of a six-month season, and they still managed to get into the playoffs through the play-in tournament and were a top-eight seed. This is a really good coach. Everything primes for them to, to take a step forward, and I think there's a good chance that Finch gets the majority of that credit for how he's able to blend schemes and strategy and build balance on both sides of the floor. I've loved Chris Finch as a coach since he was in the G League. Chris Finch is an exceptional coach, and he fits all of our criteria here. Love this bet. Not with you on Carlisle. Um, oh. For one, I'm high on the Pacers. I'm with you on the Pacers' love. Going to bet the over, going to bet an all over. The win total. So here's an interesting one. The win total is outside of our parameter, well, but you and I both think the win total is wrong. So the problem is like there's confirmation bias here, right? Which is like, okay, um, guys that have win totals under 40 haven't won very much. But we don't think that this win total should be 40. But also anybody that's going to win it, the win total would have been wrong because they'll have overperformed. So like we have a circular kind of trap here going on with them. Mostly yeah. it's this, Brandon, is that what are you going to be able to look at and say like, oh, that's Rick Carlisle. Like that's Rick Carlisle's influence. Like it's not going to be the defense. The defense is still going to be bad. It might be okay if everything if everything lines up for them. If Miles Turner is healthy and Bruce Brown makes a, a huge difference – and those, and you know, Obi Toppin is a big athletic defender, but like they're still very short on. Then they're going to play super fast. Like they're going to, they're going to burn up and down the floor, which usually means the defense is bad. So it, he's outside of the context of those defensive teams, even for a you know, it's Carlisle. So I would think that they'd be good, but that's not. I don't think he knows that that's not how this team is built. This team is built to run and score, and so I think he'll be like. Let me put it this way. I think he'll be like, you know, you should get more credit as Rick Carlisle for how he's taken this young team and made them into a playoff <laughs> squad. I totally agree with you. 
but I don't think the ceiling is high enough for Indiana relative. And you're going to disagree on some of mine, but the win total, I think kind of reflects how big of a jump this is going to have to be for them to get there. Um, Do you think that this team can make, make it to 50? No. And, and so that's why Rick Carlisle is third for me on this list. He was my choice. He was my number one until I dove more into the win totals thing. And he, I'll even say in my notes, I have Carlisle is like a half unit play compared to Finch and Jenkins. So this is a, I like Indiana. I'm in on Indiana, but I'm not as far in as I need to be to win this award historically. Now, he does fit better the profile that Mike Brown and Tibbs won with. That's who's been winning the last few years. So I am trying to do with these awards now, what if I'm wrong about my criteria? What if the recent trend thing is hinting at another winner? Rick Carlisle is my version of that. But to respond to what does Carlisle do? What does he get credit for? I've got two answers for that. And I'm glad you asked because I, I do think you would get credit for these. Number one, if I'm right, if we're right about Indiana being good, good enough to win this award to, to get near 50 wins, it is because of the defense. It is because Carlisle got the defense to be like above average. And the pieces are there. Miles Turner is a really good defender. They brought in Bruce Brown. Jarris Walker is a really good defender. If you can get that as a rookie, I don't know if you can. I don't have them getting the 50 wins. You don't either. You're actually even slightly higher on the wins than I am. I have them at like 43-ish, I think, for the year. So that's why this is only a half. But Carlisle is a really good, really good defensive coach over the years. I think there's a chance. There's enough there. The thing that I think Rick Carlisle does, maybe better than any coach in the league. Like, he has long been one of my absolute favorite top three coaches. He takes guys who have a limited, specific skill set who other teams can't find a good role for necessarily, and he makes them work. And he maximizes guys and makes gives gives you a job on the court in a role. And I think this team is really built well for that. Bruce Brown is a perfect example that we just saw on a championship team, how important he was when he finally found a team that that fit for. Jairus Walker is the exact sort of guy who has a really good skill set, but takes a lot off the table. Obi Toppin is the opposite player. He doesn't play much defense, but can add a lot of offense. I think Rick Carlisle is the exact sort of coach to take a really good defensive center, Miles Turner, and a really good engine, Tyrese Halliburton, and a bunch of other kind of spare part type players and maximize them and make it all work together. That's what he's done over the years. There's a lot of coaches who win this award, move to new team, win it again later. That's why I'm eyeing him here. But I agree that he's the low end of my three options. Buckets is presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $1,500 paid back in bonus bets if your first bet loses. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's go to mine. Uh, so I'm I'm going to have like two and a half. My best bet for coach of the year, and he's fourth on your list, and I, I know why you're holding him back because of your distaste, <laughs> but you got to do it. I'm sorry. You're off on this. Like he's way better value. It's Quinn Snyder with the Atlanta yep. Hawks. 42 and a half win total. Check. Uh, got to be a, a top six defense. Quinn Snyder's teams are always great defensively. And if you're like, 
yeah, but like he has to play with Trey Young. He's going to have DeAndre Hunter and he's going to have AJ Griffin. He's going to have Clint Capella. He's going to make it work because he's a really great coach that always gets his teams to play great defense. Like Quinn Snyder is an excellent coach in these type of things. First year head coach with the franchise. Check on that. Uh, Upside ceiling. It's very easy to see the Hawks winning 50. It's very easy. They they were a great team when they, and they made the run in 2021 with a, this is a huge upgrade in coach. And like, I, I don't necessarily want that to be the case. Like I want good things for Nate McMillan, but this is a huge upgrade in coach. This fits exactly the program of what we've talked about of a team with a win total in the forties that all of a sudden makes a huge jump back in, in playoff contention back at the top of the conference. Quinn Snyder is the kind of coach that's going to make that happen. We already saw such a market change from before Quinn was hired to after when he didn't even have time to really install anything. They were way more competitive in that first round series, just from a process standpoint than they had been because of what Quinn's able to do with getting them to take volume threes. He's going to maximize everybody on that roster. They do have young talent. They have some trade moves as well. I don't think Trey gets the credit for it. I think Quinn (laughs) Snyder does. So upgrade year over year, Quinn Snyder has to be the best bet here at 20 to one, especially. I have no counter argument that this is why he was on the list. I wanted a first year coach. I think of our options, he's the first year. I mean, technically first and a half year, but qualifies the way that I count it. I, at the end of the day, I think that I like Indiana's offense and defense both slightly more than Atlanta and the expectations for Atlanta are slightly higher for Indiana. But I started out as Carlisle and Quinn. That was my two. And I, I, the only pushback I have is I would give you the same pushback you did for Indiana fairly where like, I don't know if there's enough defense to get to the caliber level of team here, but I don't, the only reason I didn't have Quinn in my group is because it felt dumb to come onto a podcast and have four best bets out of 30. So I'm going to go ahead and add a half unit to Atlanta. You, you won me over on this one. Awesome. My other best bets can be Willie green at 11 yeah. to one. Uh, this one's pretty easy, man. They were on pace. Like the whole thing with the Pelicans is that their number is smack dab in the, their win total smack dab in the middle of the two outcomes. They're going to get injured and win 37 games, or they're going to be healthy and they're going to win 50. That's who this team is. Like if they're healthy, they project as a 50 win team. You know why? That's what they were on pace for in December before the wheels fell off. And if you're just like, well, I don't think that Zion's ever going to be healthy. Okay there's a case where Zion gets hurt and misses games. And that only adds to Willie green's ability to win this award where they were a top six defense last season with all the injuries, their pets heads fell off. It was nuts. (laughs) The injuries that they had set Zion aside. Ingram was out basically the first two months. Ingram gets back. Zion goes out. Then they lose grand theft Alvarado and Larry Nance who anchored that second unit. Like, the whole thing was that their bench was was world killers with the amount of defense that they were able to apply, and they were really hit you in waves. You got Herb Jones, who I talked about for Defensive Player of the Year. You got Trey Murphy, who I think is an above-average defender. You have all these guys that have the capacity, and then you actually have the offense because you have veterans who can shoot. So the best-case scenario is Zion's fully healthy, and this team is, you know, I'm being conservative with 53 like I can see him cracking 55 if everything goes right for them for once in that miserable franchise's life. <laughs> but if even if we just take it like a like, OK, more things went right than didn't. That's probably 50. And we're well within range here of them exceeding the win total 
and being right there. So for me, Willie Green, I think is a must play. I, I, I can't, I can't argue with any of that. You want to play outliers on this team. Yep. I just want to play the other outlier. That's all. I, I just, I don't see it. I don't buy the team. I think their defense was so good specifically because Zion and Ingram were out. And now that you add those offense guys back in, the defense drops back out. Like I don't have enough two-way guys or or lineups I can build on this team where I have offense and defense. I can't figure it out. Maybe Willie Green can. Maybe that's why he's the coach of the year and I'm not the coach of the year. I can't argue with the bet. I just, I, I agree. Don't bet the win total on the Pelicans. Bet the outliers. I think if they got to 53-55, it's got to be because of Zion, and that's why I mention him in, in MVP conversations. But, yeah, it, he, he's on my list. I have him on my list as effectively like sixth place under my don't-want-to-bet-it section. So I get it. It makes sense. It's the right outlier pick. I just don't believe in the Pelicans. You got okay. anyone else? The favorite. I'm not going to bet him because I made a rule on not betting <laughs> anything under 9-1. But, look, I love Mark Dagonal. I think he is a great coach. I've talked about how everybody thinks that – like coaches and scouts around the league are just like that team is prepared and smart. And he, he throws different stuff at you and they take advantage of in-game situations. Like nobody better is better prepared for in-game stuff. I don't think right now than Mark Dagonal. like, because like Spo has to keep an eye on the big picture and pop has to keep an eye on the big picture and Kerr and those guys you would put above Dagonal. Dagonal gets to play in-game stuff because he's got a young enough roster that he can mold. He does. He gets to actually try and win games as opposed to win seasons. Um, this is mostly, look, I, I, we, you're going to hear it on the MVP episode that Shea was my first bet out of the box. If Shea doesn't get there, but the Thunder performed to the level, yeah. the absolute level I think they can, then it goes the, the credit then goes to Dagonal. And so for me, it's seven to one. It's below my threshold. I'm debating on what I want to bet on it. I will have something on Dagonal based off of how good a coach he is and the fact that the Thunder fit the model, but I hate the number in the market is basically my read on him. Yeah, uh, sounds about right to me. I think it's the, it's too short of a number to bet right now. It's This is an award that's going to bounce all over the place. Like Some team is going to start out 9-1. and one. Like Remember Wes Unsell Jr. and the Wizards were the East 1 seed in December a couple years ago? So... Last year, Will Hardy. Look at look at how Will Hardy was out of the gates. Somebody else is going to have a hot start, and you'll get Dagnall lower later. But I like him. I, I love him as a coach. Love the Thunder makeup. I'm not quite sure if they get to the 50s, but I think you're right, that he's a good way to reward the team. If Shea can't quite get to MVP or Chet to Rookie of the Year, I think he makes a lot of sense. Let me throw out two real long shots here. These are not bets for me unless you talk me into them right now. I wanted a sleeper in the East. Not Indiana. Indiana's not a sleeper. Indiana's awake. I need a sleeper. And we're off FIBA World Cup, so I got my eye on some of these guys. Orlando Magic have Paolo coming back. They got Franz coming back. And, you know, I discovered a thing as I looked at these teams this summer that every other person in the NBA world knew before me because they watched basketball the first four months of the season. The Magic are pretty good. The Magic, like, had a lot of good underlying numbers and did a lot of good stuff later on. And Jamal Mosley is pretty good, right? Welcome, Brandon. Come on in. I know, right? We have have juice boxes. Come on in. I know. Yeah. So Orlando, they won 34. Their win total is 36 and a half. Could they do – could they be the Atlanta, the Indiana? Could they get there? I don't know, but I want to hear your your possibility for it. And then one more deep down the list, a team our Slack channel loves – not on Team USA, but leading up to Team USA, we played the USA Select team, and our guy Cade Cunningham got a lot of good reviews. People were really high on Cade. We don't have a most improved award 
for young players like Cade. We don't really do awards for that. I don't believe in the Pistons. I don't believe in the young talent there. But if Cade makes a star leap, like a big leap, because they'd need it, they're at 28.5 on the win total. Cade gets them, let's say this is the Kings this year. We get to not the 50, but we get to like a mid-40s in the East. We got other young players. We know coaches love Monty Williams. Everybody loves Monty Williams. He's a great guy, great story. He's won the award, first year on a new team. I tried to talk myself into it, but I really don't like the Pistons. But if Cade is like a top 15 player suddenly and and lifts the whole floor of the team, Pistons or Magic, is there anything there here or am I too far down the list? One thing we didn't get to in our in our analysis, and we probably should have looked at it, is what's the offensive floor of the winners of Coach of the Year? Mm, yeah, because I think that's the the thing that's the same thing for both of those guys. Which yeah. is like, I think the Magic are going to go over. I think the Magic are going to be pretty good. I think the Magic are going to be a fringe playoff team. Their offense is not going to be good enough for them to yeah. to to scratch the fifty in order for this to be there. Um, they have a lot of talent, but they're still missing the actual ability to put the ball in the bucket. And with the Pistons, I asked Pistons fans, I was like, how are you guys going to score? And they were like, we don't know. <laughs> Hopefully Cade's really good. Like, that's where they're at, right? Like, and some people will be like, well, you know, we got Bogdanovich or this, that, and the other. Yeah, or, we got know. we got uh, Isaiah Stewart and yeah. James Wiseman. We'll go with right. uh, the two bigs. yeah. But even if you like you like some of the wings and believe some of the, the yeah. adjustments, like you know they've got, they've got guys, but yeah, it, it's just like the floor, the the offensive floor is yeah. too low for both of those teams. Versus if we yeah. look at at the guys that we've talked about, the Thunder can have a top fifteen offense. The Pacers are going to have a top ten offense. The Hawks are going to have a top fifteen offense. Like yeah, the teams that we've circled, they're yeah. all going to have a floor offensively, yeah. and I think that that's maybe the way to look at it. Look for peak defenses, but floors on offense. My, my prediction on these two is I predict on December 1st, either Jamal Mosley or Monty Williams, the Magic or uh, Pistons coach, one of them will be like top three or four in the odds, and they'll be the team and the coach everyone's talking about. They'll be this year's Will Hardy, and they will never actually be in the race for the award. So don't bet it, because the thing we said earlier about this is not the award for a cute story that improved a bunch and got to average. That's that's what these teams are. So thank you for talking me back onto the ledge with these teams. I will pass on betting them, but I predict we'll be talking about one of them as though we should be betting on them, but we should not. <laughs> yeah, that's one, one of the early lessons. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, one, one of the early lessons that we learned. All right, I just got to wrap it up for Buckets. Thanks for joining us. My thanks to David Payne, our producer, and our great team over in the video squad as well. Make sure to check out the YouTube page and give us a like and subscribe. Give us five-star reviews if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We'll see you guys again later this week for the MVP Conversation Parts 1 and 2. Be on the lookout for that. You can follow Brandon in the Action Network app and on Twitter at Wheaton Brando. We'll see you guys again next time. Till then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.